This morning, we as a church have the privilege of having one of our missionaries um, open God's word with us today. Uh, Jonah, who is our missionary to Pakistan, is here, and he's been in town this past week, and he's going to be bringing God's word. For those of you that don't know Jonah and haven't met him, um, he has, uh, we've, Cornerstone has partnered with him to help bring the gospel to Pakistan for over 20 years now. And uh, he's been out here in Maryland this past week. His wife is back in Tennessee, and he's getting ready to go back um, to Pakistan in the next month or so. And so, Jonah, please come and open God's word for us this morning. For those of you who have been here for a while, this will be a reunion, and, and uh, it'll be encouraging to see a friendly face. For those of you that haven't met Jonah, we're glad to introduce him to you this morning. Let's read God's word. <laughs> we are going to read God's word first. And uh, the text is found in your Bible or on your screen. So let's read that together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you very much. I wanted to read this uh, word, God's word, in my language, <coughs> the language of my heart. So you hear God's word in a foreign language. And regardless of what language, it still remains God's word, and it is very, very powerful. I want to thank you for your support, for your prayer, for your friendship, and uh, also want to uh, rebuke you in love. I'm your brother. <coughs> I'm saved by the same blood that you are saved. I know you pray, I know you give, and I know you care. But for some reason, I'm borrowing that language from the last book of the Bible, but I hold this thing against you. You don't write. <laughs> you don't know how it feels when somebody is feeling six feet deep in the ground, and you get a tiny little e email saying that we are thinking of you and we are praying for you. Missionaries are not super people. They need encouragement. I know you are busy. You don't have to write or throw that paper and then put that in the envelope and seal it and put stamp on it and go to the post office or mail it. Everybody has email in their hand. It takes only just few seconds to reply. So I hope that this loving rebuke will encourage you to stay in touch with those that you pray and you support. 
I should be teaching today about the, the greatest uh, entrance uh, to Jerusalem, but for some reason I was not thinking right. And uh, I chose this text. And I learned that pastor mentioned to me that he has preached on the Great Commission uh, just a few weeks ago. So I comfort him by saying, I will not be talking about making disciple, even though this text actually is making disciple. And this text talk about, uh, this is a great manuscript or great command or manifesto for evangelism or making disciple. But I will not talk on those issues. Um, give you three verbs uh, and uh, help you uh, understand those words and uh, then give you some interpretation uh, and uh, some application on, on that thing. I'm not used to this, but uh, it is all right. I had surgery recently on my eyes and um, cataract surgery, so I, without my glasses, I can't see. With my glasses, I can't see. So <laughs> I, I am struggling with that, so bear with me. I, want, I, I share with the uh, first uh, congregation came in the morning. There are terrible things happening in the world today. You know more than I can explain to you. The power of darkness is growing thicker, it seems. And it seems the sewage of hell is open around the world. Pakistan is making headlines from time to time. Christians are under attack. You got just a little taste on Monday what happened when somebody comes and, and shoot your loved one uh, or the people that you know. In one church, two suicide bombers came and they shouted, Allahu Akbar, and they blow each other in less, less than three seconds apart and brought 56 people and they, they were killed. 56. That is on the spot. Many died on the way to hospital or later on. And many were wounded. There were over 500 people in the church at that time. So in other words, Muslims are determined to kill. There are people who are willing to put suicide bomb to their body. They are on the waiting list. If that is the situation, sometimes it embarrasses me that we cannot match that level of commitment that the Muslim have for their faith. Do you realize that 2015 was the worst year for Christian living in the Middle East? More Christians were killed, according to some reports, than put all the 1,400 years together of Islam. Christians are paying high price for their faith. My own name was in the news five times. I have never brought this information. I just only mentioned, wrote to you. But I have brought this time some cutting from the news, my photograph and description how I do and what I do. So nobody lives in Pakistan if your name appears once in the newspaper. By God's grace, my name appears five or six times so far. The apartment building where we live, that was in the news twice. And they circled the apartment, they said the dangerous man lives here. And we are still living. I know how to fly under the radar. I speak the language. I know the culture. I don't think anybody can kill me. Those who kidnapped me 
I was standing naked in front of 15 to 20 people when they torture your body, wanted to know the name of people that I baptized because the news said I was baptizing 50,000 Muslim each year. I wish they write my prayer letters. You will be very happy. But lies after lies. Li I was also chairman of the American CIA. I wish that was true. <laughs> I will be using Uncle Sam's money. And uh, I was also chairman of a German intelligence agency. So see, I'm a very busy man. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm still living. When you look at me, you should be looking at a living miracle. I really believe that. And I told my kidnappers, I said, you know, why you were not able to kill me? Because I truly believe Lord has put me on this face of earth to accomplish certain number of things. I don't know about you guys, but I will never die. I cannot die unless I finish what I am supposed to do. With that confirm understanding of life and death, there is no need for fear. We are not afraid of death. I asked other questions. I said, do you realize that they are in absolute darkness, there are no shadows? Is that true? Can you experience shadow in absolute darkness? Yes? No. So I, I asked uh, the congregation, I said, I know you are chosen and frozen, and you are not supposed to talk back. They are bad manners to talk back. But if I'm the one who's asking you questions, you can speak. <laughs> so don't feel bad. So in absolute darkness, there are no shadow. Where do you experience shadow? When you are under light. And when you are under light, if the light is in front of you, where is your shadow? Right behind you. Some of us like to measure on the minor. We keep looking at our shadow and not to the light. So it is your choice. You want to look at the shadow or you want to look to the light. Now keep that story in mind and listen to another story. We tell a lot of story in the East. And we, Jennifer would say, you know, I ask you a simple question. Why don't you answer me? You, you come up with a story. And uh, I don't need story. Just tell me the bottom line answer. And I said, oh, you, you beat around the bush. I said, yes, I do. I learned that art of beating around the bush from Jesus. You ask him question, he will ask you two questions. <laughs> you know, and then the lawyer was very smart. He, he answered the first part of the question. He never answered the second part of the question. And immediately said, then who is my neighbor? That was a very simple question. Who was my neighbor? I don't know where that come from. But Jesus should have just given him the answer, who is your neighbor? No, he comes up with another story. And then he gave the story. And in the end of the story, he asked him, now you tell me. Who is his neighbor? So we learned that beating around the bush art from Jesus. So I justify my long uh, answer to my short answer, a question of my wife. So she get very uh, irritated with that sometimes. But uh, here is the story. A pastor is asked, uh, has lost his wife, young wife, three young children. I learned that story from Ravi Zachariah. I forgot, I'm so sorry, forgot the pastor's name. But he was a great preacher of the gospel. His wife died because of the cancer, and the six-year-old girl asked Daddy with the scary eyes. She said, Daddy, if Jesus died for us, why Mama has to die? Don't you think that's a nice question? If Jesus died for us, 
why mama has to die. Even a great teacher like him was not able to answer his six years old daughter. He said, darling, I understand what you're saying, but I will give you the answer, not today. A week later, as they are going to the graveyard to bury her, sitting in the car, the six years old daughter is sitting next to the daddy. And she said, uh, he said, honey, you asked if Jesus died for us, why mama has to die? Yes, daddy. You want to know the answer to that question? Yes, daddy. And daddy saw an 18-wheeler truck coming from the front. And the position of sun was such that the shadow of the truck will be over when the truck will pass their car. The daddy said, honey, if the truck, 18-wheeler truck that is coming from the front, if that truck goes over us, will that be okay? Or if the shadow of the truck go over us, will that be okay? She thought about it and then she said, Daddy, if the truck, 18-wheeler truck goes over us, we will be dead just like Mama is dead. But if the shadow of the truck goes over us, we will not die. It will be okay. And then this pastor said this. You want to know what he said? He said, honey, the 18-wheeler truck of death went over Jesus. What your mother has gone through is just the shadow of death. How do you support that? I want you to recite a verse from Psalm 23. And remember, Psalm 23 comes after Psalm 20, uh, before Psalm 22. Psalm 22, as you know, is a messianic psalm. Very powerful. It always brings tears to my eyes when I think of these things. I face death. I live on a war zone. I know very many people. I have uh, attended or attend more funeral than I have given uh, wedding sermons. So in the light of that, I want you to help me. Even if I walk Someone read it properly one more time and say like you mean it. We have a grandson, and uh, when he says, oh, Grandpa, I love you, the mother will say, say like you mean it. So you are somebody's child. I'm asking you to recite that verse like you really mean it wholeheartedly. Even... Thank you. Thank you. I, I know you all know the whole song. <laughs> but I just wanted the first verse. Even if I walk through the valley of shadow of death, not death, but shadow of death, I will have no fear. And if you think that for believers, for Christians, grave is a dark place, you are mistaken. I told you in absolute darkness there are no shadows. Where do you experience shadow if you are under light and Jesus is the light to the world? He's right there. That's why we don't die. We go through the valley of shadow of death, not death. Shadow of death. We will live. And Jesus is there to hold your hand. And uh, D.L. Moody said one day, and I say that, my own one day you may hear Jonah is dead. Don't ever believe that. 
I will be living more then than what I am living today. So I wanted to relate that story to you, even though you may not think that this is a, a part of the subject that I have chosen. And I wanted to give you this idea that we, what a privilege for us to know the truth that we will not die, we sleep. And we have a hope in Jesus Christ. And that, what a, what a great reminder we have. One other thing that I want to ask you questions. What is the wages of sin? Okay, remember that. Now, next week, you may, the pastor may repeat that verse and say that, oh, death, where is your sin? One more time. Oh, death, where is your sin? See, now I'm reminding you, and I'm giving you the answer to that verse. Perhaps you have never heard the interpretation of that verse. You know the verse by heart, but you have never heard the interpretation the way I'm going to interpret this morning. That's our great comfort. That is our great comfort, brother and sister. You said the wages of sin is death. Now, till cross, death was biting sinful people. Correct? Till cross. On the cross, for the first time, death took bite of the most innocent and died. That is a victory over death. Now you know where the sting of death has gone. Because the death took bite of the most innocent and death died. What a nice comfort for us to have that. So everybody, at least few of you wanted to know, you know, what I'm going to say and I have so lit, I always say, I, one of my agony is when I come to America, I have to teach or preach looking at the watch constantly. You know, this is such a horrible thing. I pray that one day America will be free from the watch. And uh, <laughs> you will be able to hear much more than what, you know, scripture has to do. So very, very quickly, um, I want to tell you, many people have come and gone who wanted to destroy the church of Jesus, but Jesus knows his way out of the grave. You cannot keep Jesus in the grave. No, no stone is heavy enough. No seal is powerful enough. No soldiers are strong enough to keep Jesus in the grave. Jesus knows his way out of the grave. That is our great comfort. You can't keep Jesus in the grave. Now, very uh, briefly, what is the great claim? Now, you are going to preach. What is the great claim? When you read these verses from Matthew 28, 16 to 20, and if I say the great claim, what comes to your mind? Which verse comes to your mind? Verse 18 should come to your mind. And what is that, verse 18? Great claim is the all authority on heaven and on earth is given to me. That is a great claim. Nobody else in the world has made that claim. Again, I can't say much because the time is going. You already know the Great Commission, uh, verse 19, so I won't touch that. You have already heard on that. So what is our great comfort? Which verse come to you when I say great comfort? I've already given you some illustration. The great comfort, the victory over death, the great comfort. What else? According to this text, 
I will be with you always. That is our great comfort. Do you know Matthew began his gospel with word Emmanuel? Not that that was the first chapter, first verse, but right in the first chapter, he said, and you shall name him Emmanuel. And then he gave the translation of the word Emmanuel. So I ask you, what is the word Emmanuel stands for? Now you're getting smart. You're saying like you mean it. So that was in the beginning of the chapter. And Emmanuel, God with us. I ask you this question. When I ask you about the word Emmanuel and you gave me the translation, were you just giving me the translation? Or were you really making a faith statement? Do you wholeheartedly believe that God is with you when the life is not going according to your plan? When there are ups and downs and roadblocks and the sickness and, and death and, and the shooting and, and real darkness, do you truly still believe that God, Emmanuel, is with us? You know how Matthew began his gospel with the word Emmanuel? Do you know how he ended his gospel? He ends with Emmanuel. How? The great comfort. And behold, I will be with you always. So it began with word Emmanuel and it ends with word Emmanuel. Now I want to briefly give you three verbs and, uh, which are very, very important. And that is, he came to them. Now who is he here in the text? Who? Jesus, right? Jesus came to them. And who are them? Disciple, apostles. I, I asked your children the other day, yesterday I think, I said, uh, do you know how many, uh, can you name gospels in order? So how many we got? Four. We have four gospels. Do you know how many disciples Jesus had? Twelve. And you think you passed the test? You failed so miserably. <laughs> That's incorrect answer. There are not four gospel brothers and sisters. Four gospel in a sense that they are written by four different evangelists, but the gospel is one. There are no four gospel. Woe to me if I preach another gospel, Paul said. And even if the angel from above come down and preach another gospel, woe to that angel. There is only one gospel, one hope, one baptism. Everything is one, one, one. So how dare we say we have four gospel? Then if you say you have four gospel, I say we have five gospel. Now you are in trouble. Which is the fifth gospel? You are the fifth gospel. Paul said again that you are the living letters of Christ written not with ink but written by his blood on your heart. If we are the living, walking, talking, grumbling, complaining, singing, praying letters of Christ, that makes you and me the fifth gospel. What a privilege. People will come and read these four. They want to read the fifth one first. And fifth one is long, walking with a sad, long face. So sad because of this happened or that happened. They're losing their faith. And how can people will come to these four gospels when we have no joy? Do you know who is the enemy of our joy? You must know the enemy of your joy. And recognize and then understand and fight that enemy because the resources are given to you. And the first word is he came to them. 
why I'm making big deal on this verb, he came to them. Because I will not go to them. If I was Jesus, do you think I will go to them? Who are these? Disciples. And disciples or apostles, they are not 12 disciples, brother. They are 12 apostles, many disciples. Must understand the distinction between disciples and apostles. And there are biblical uh, references that I can give you, but my time is going up very quickly. Last few minutes left, and I have to explain three verbs. He came to them, and I said, I will not go to them. Why? Such people were frightened, fearful. They broke their promise. They said, Lord, I have to, I will follow you even if I have to go to prison. I will go to prison. If I have to die for you, I will die for you. I will not deny you. And what happened? He ended up denying. When the hard time came, they all ran away. Yet he came to them. Who disappointed him, never kept their promise. If I had such a group, do you think I will go to them? Be honest. Will you go to them? People who disappointed you? People who left? People who were cursing and saying, I don't know this man? I'm asking you a question. Will you go to such people? No. People, and now I'm relating and bringing the application. People who rape your daughter, people who burn your churches, put you alive in the fire. Will you go to them? Yes. We are still going to them. When the churches are attacked, the BBC newspaper, uh, news uh, television person was there and she asked this question to man who lost everything. What would you like to say to those suicide bomber or to their family or to their trainers who are sending these people to you? He said, I bury all my family members. I've already forgiven them. If they know how to kill, we know how to get killed. Can you make that statement? That is a statement of faith. We will go to angry, upset people. We will go to them because Jesus has shown us the way he came to them. He actually came to you and me. Were you worthy of his visit? He touched us when we were not so touchable. He moved with compassion when we did not deserve his compassion. We were unclean. He saved us. We must return the favor. We must reach out to those who are killing our children, who are hating us, who are our enemy. We are not their enemy. The God is with us. The Emmanuel is with us. His example is with us. Let us follow his example. He came to them. We have to go to them. There are 1.5 billion Muslims today deserve the gospel. They deserve the forgiveness. They deserve the message of love and hope. A brother and sister, apart from that, there is no hope. We are your shoes, boot on the ground. You are the, are the war room warrior. You plan the war, but you don't even communicate with your soldiers with the boot on the ground. I want to give you one last illustration on this subject and uh, close very quickly. 
if there was a software problem, can you solve the software problem by buying another piece of hardware? No? Say yes or no. No, that does not make sense. I don't, I have, I teach computers, but I, I hire other people. I don't know anything about computers. I only teach Bible, but we run computer training centers. So we hire somebody who can teach, but even I know that if there is a software problem, there is no other solution to that problem but to rewrite the software. I cannot solve that problem by buying another piece of hardware. You know how we are fighting this war against terrorism? And you are military people, you're working for the Navy or Air Force. We are fighting with hardware. A spiritual war, we have spent 19 or 20 trillion dollars and achieved very little. You are Christian. I'm about to make a statement. Listen carefully and see if you can put your faith in that as a military person. We cannot win this battle with hardware. This is a spiritual battle. It is a software problem. People who are willing to put bomb to their body and willing to kill themselves and kill others, believe me, this is a software problem. The Quran is inside is helping them, is a motivated force for the glory of Islam they are doing it. How are we going to solve that problem of software by rewriting the software? You know what is the new software that will bring victory? The, the new software is called the gospel of grace. Do you put your faith in that statement? Yes or no? Be honest, is that easy to swallow that thought that the solution to the problem that we are facing, the darkness that we have in this our world, this is the solution to the problem? This is the road to victory? I believe that. I know you believe that. But it's not an easy statement, brother and sister. Let us consider that. If what U.S. is spending on war against terrorism, if they only give me 0.1% of that budget, the results will be different. You know, there are many things we want to do, but we have no resources. We need help. We need your prayer. We need your encouragement. So he came to them, and he, what was the other verb that I want to leave with you? He came to them, and what else? He spoke to them. Will I speak to such people who disappointed me? No. You left me alone. You ran away. You never kept your promise. You don't talk to me. I will never talk to you. Leave me alone. You have broken my trust. I will not come to you again. Did Jesus did that? He even did not say any strong word who doubted him. He came to those 11. You know what 11 stands for? I wish I had time to help you understand why he came to 11. Because the perfect number was 12, and now it is 11-ish number. It is imperfect number. He came to imperfect people. He gave them a perfect plan because he promised that I will send the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always. The, these imperfect 11 people, and then later on, of course, they became 12. They did a perfect job in the world, that as a result of their work, you and I are followers of Jesus. What is our great comfort? That is our great hope. The, remember his great claim that he came to them 
came to frighten people, came to people who were absolutely shut. They could not speak. They were speechless. Only our Lord was speaking on that mountain. And what was their response? Their response was, they were total focus fell on Jesus Christ himself. And the role of these apostles were to listen, to understand, and to obey. He came to them. You and I need to go to them. He spoke to them. You and I need to speak to them. He broke the silence. We need to break the silence. Let us engage the unengaged. And the last thing, may God give us wisdom, knowledge and understanding to stand firm, to recognize the great claim, the great comfort that we have in Jesus. No one can keep him in the grave. Jesus knows his way out of the grave. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this privilege that we are your children. You are our father. We are self-centered children. We are selfish children. We mind our own business. We maintain deadly silence. But the world is hurting, is under darkness. Grant us wisdom that we must go to them. We must break the silence and speak to them and share the gospel of grace and bring those angry people at the foot of the cross so they may, might become my brother and my sisters. In Jesus' most blessed name, I offer my afternoon prayers. Praise God for his word to us, that he came to us, that we, out of a love for him, can go and share that great news for, with others. Please stand with us as we praise and worship. You're the 
with a shout, you rose victorious, wrestling victory from the grave, and ascended into heaven, leading captives in your way. Across the land. 